Thank you, Tim, and thank you, uh, Trinity Cheltenham. Um, they say that the first invitation to speak in a church is not e difficult to secure. The second is far harder. <laughs> You're one of the few churches that's invited us back. <laughs> no, it's been, a, it's been great to be part of seeing God at work in, in Cheltenham, in, in Trinity, uh, through you in Cheltenham and, and beyond. And uh, we're very glad and privileged to be here again today just to catch up with what God is doing and to try to stoke the fire to burn a bit brighter, maybe. So if it was part one and part two, uh, let, let me just summarize part one with a verse. Um, this is what we're preaching about always more. The verse is, uh, came back to mind when our vicar uh, started the prayer meeting, Zoom prayer meeting that we're part of on Wednesday morning with the question, what's your go-to verse? Now you're all thinking, what's my go-to verse? How many of you got to Ephesians 3, verse 20? One person over there. This is another person here. Fantastic. This is my, one of my go-to verses. So, you know, if you can look it up, this is the summary start. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God is able to do not just more, but God is able to do immeasurably more. Not just immeasurably more than our rational minds contain, not just measure immeasurably more than we ask, not just immeasurably more than those two things, but immeasurably more than we imagine. Now, I'm a scientist by background. I did engineering at university to start with, which means my imagination has not really been very creative in my life. Some blokes will identify with me. What do we imagine God might, God could, or God will do? And Paul, writing to the Christians in Ephesians, with all his experience of what God has already done, what he's seen coming to planet Earth through King Jesus, still says God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. This actually comes as a combination of a prayer. He's been praying that they'd have, the Ephesian Christians would have their roots and foundations in God's love, that they'd know this love which surpasses all knowledge. It's higher than the highest mountain, wider than the deepest, widest ocean deeper than the deepest sea or whatever the kid's song is. That's in this passage here. And then he says, and now, and now to God be the glory because God is able to do more than we ask, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The truth is I'm standing before you because God has done that. I, when I became a Christian at the age of 17, if you'd asked me what, my, what lay in my future, I would not have been able to tell you. I didn't know what I was asking for. I didn't know what God might do that was greater than I, I imagined. When I, when I got ordained, when I got married, I didn't know what God was going to do. I didn't really know what I was asking for. I didn't know what it was, that the greater thing that God would do than I was imagining. I didn't know when we started leading a church how God would grow the church, which is what we were asking, to an extent far beyond my imagining a, a, a white, middle-class, liberal church that we went to as Bible teachers, and we saw God built a multinational church and send missionaries all around the world. I didn't know that I would have the privilege of visiting and joining in with what God was doing in North America and South America and Africa and Scandinavia and China and Australasia and India. I didn't know that what I thought was 
God might do, which was allow us to do one or two church plants at a time <coughs> when church planting was anathema in the Church of England, such that a local vicar into his parish we were thinking we might plant said, you do that, I'll take you to the cleaners before the bishop, that we now reach a time when bishops are pouring money into church planting all around the country and as a bishop of church planting. I didn't know that my, not only my children, whom I didn't even know whether we would have, would come to an individual living faith in Jesus, but also their children, the oldest of which is now 13, would start to get baptized in the next generation as well. We stand before you, not just with this as the go-to verse, but beginning to see that God has been able to do far more than we asked or even imagined. Now start asking. Now start imagining. And God is able to do immeasurably more than what you're asking and imagining. Just uh, so you see the text fully, uh, it, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. It is by his spirit that he does all this stuff and welcoming the ministry of the spirit, his power at work in us, is the key to discovering and entering into the more and that's really what we want to focus on and this morning we sp I spoke on the worst of times and the best of times and one of the keys was the ministry of the spirit and we want to unpack that a little bit this evening to discover the immeasurably more that God is able to do, not just to see know it but actually to walk into it. And to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. No one doubts that God is glorified in Christ Jesus. People doubt whether he's glorified in the church. And God says he is able to bring glory to himself even in the church. And it's not just the church that was there and then in the first century in the Middle East. It's the church, Tim will be pleased, throughout all generations. That's what's significant about the generational thing that you saw in prayer in, in, the, uh, in, in the prayer room just now. That that is actually what God intends. In practice, which church would you prefer to be part of if you were sick, if you were demonized, if you didn't have faith, if you were lonely, if you were a widow without any money? The church today or the church in the book of Acts? Most people would say, if I'm honest, it's the church in the book of Acts. That's not God's intention. It is God's intention that there be immeasurably more that was happening there and then is happening here and now throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Don't you want to say a really big amen to the amen. end of that prayer? We want to see it, Lord, here. We want to see it now, Lord. We want to see it in the UK, Lord, in this generation. And those of your students in your generation also, I'm praying for it. And that's one of the things about being a grandpa you have the privilege of beginning to see something beyond what you asked and what you imagined. We want to hand the baton well on to you that you might hand it on well on to another generation if the Lord tarries and doesn't return first. So the way that's going to happen is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have experienced and that's simply what we pass on to you. And we know that you've experienced it as well. And it all has to do with this picture that Jesus has in, um, when he's teaching of living water. Now, uh, you might even get a picture of some living water up uh, in, in a little bit. But I don't know if we can get this. Does running water have an effect on you? <laughs> if you leave, that's fine. 
did you notice how um, Hills at the beginning uh, read out those wonderful verses from Isaiah 44 about the Lord pouring out living water on us in Isaiah 44? And you had these in Friday evening's prayer meeting, is that right? I will pour out living water on you. I will pour out my spirit on you. This is a picture. And um, the Lord was speaking to us about it because he, as well because we were at that moment uh, saying to each other and, and talking to the Lord about what should we bring this evening. So the Lord is uh, speaking to us all. I don't know about you, but uh, in lockdown, we did a lot of sitting around. Did you do that? And we sat around because we were blessed with a garden in our garden. And we um, found ourselves saying to each other, wouldn't it be nice if we had a water feature? You can tell we're getting retired, and <laughs> that's what you do. Um, you don't have to imagine all that. But um, as we had our birthdays, we thought, that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, buy ourselves a water feature. And that's the water feature that we bought. And it's just outside our window. And you know, as we set it up and listened to this water and thought, oh, such a lovely sound to sit in the garden and listen to, we, th we felt that the Lord said to us, living water is what you're thirsty for and what the whole world is thirsty for. And so it really is a picture to us of what the Lord is doing in our lives and can give us and promises us. Well, a year later, um, we had another birthday and we're still in the garden mode because we're still there. And so we said, there's a gap in the garden over the other side and um, why don't we get a little garden statue? I never thought I'd find myself saying this. Anyway, <laughs> we went to the garden statue shop and... <laughs> And uh, John looked around and he said, oh, come over here, I found this one. It's the woman of Samaria. Now, those of you who know your Bibles uh, will know that in John 4, Jesus talks about meeting a woman who nobody else was terribly interested in and who probably was very rejected and neglected by society in general because she was a bit immoral. And he talks to her about water. And he said, here she is, <laughs> uh, creeping into our garden. Um, and uh, Jesus talks to her like this. He asks her for a drink because he hasn't got a bucket, and she has. She's got a bucket, and she's got a long rope on her bucket, and she's going to let it down and give him a drink. And at the same time, they set up a conversation. And Jesus says to her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that you're talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the difference between the water that she could fish up from the rather brown, sheep, pooey well and the living water that flows clear and crystal and you'd like to drink is worlds apart. Let's just dig a little bit deeper into this verse. So many, many of us spend much of our life drinking from stagnant water in cisterns which we've built for ourselves. We're no different from previous generations. God addressed the issue in Jer through Jeremiah 
where he says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Uh, most of us at some stage in our life put our hope and our trust, our belief in something or someone else, which we discover after a period of time actually does not sustain us in life. We hope that this thing, whatever it is, whether it be another person, whether it be a style of life, uh, in our world today, every style of life is, is open to us. Uh, it, it could be the, the accumulation of money, of wealth. It could be the accumulation of the number of people who follow you on social media, popularity, prestige. It, it could be power. It, it could be a sexually immoral lifestyle, as it probably was for this woman at the well, that she thought she'd become satisfied by a husband, and she never was, and she'd been through a number. But it's like... That is, that's where we place our hope. And God says, I am the only source of true and lasting hope and living water that will never grow stagnant. And with me, 24-7, every day of your life, you will find a satisfaction if you drink from this water. This is the spring of living water. And yet you've forsaken me. So he calls us back. And basically, Jesus was calling this woman back to the source of living water. The way he does it is so interesting. He starts off by saying, if... You see, some of us think Jesus is standing there saying, do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And Jesus is, as it were, just giving an invitation to the woman which she can respond to if she would like. If, if you only knew the gift of God. And that's the other thing, you see. We, we feel so often, even if we've been Christians for a long time, that actually when we come before God, actually we've got to have, we've got to have stepped up to the mark better. I've got to have earned something. I mean, he probably won't give me the gift of this, the gift of that, because I haven't really been up to the mark this week. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't lived a life done a few things that even I don't much like. And Jesus doesn't say anything about that. He says, it's the gift of God. God is wanting to give you his Holy Spirit, not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it, but because he loves us. And that's what you give to your children. And if you give a gift of God... Then she sa he says, and if you only knew who it is that's talking to you. I wonder how many of you know that God stepped into your life years before you ever made a response to him. Maybe you've never actually said, I want to be born again, Jesus, or I want to be a Christian and follow you with my whole life. Maybe you haven't got to that, that far. But can you think of a time when you know God spoke to you or you felt God, you experienced God? So many people have had God experiences. Why? Because Jesus takes the initiative in this and she hasn't even realized she's talking to God. If only you knew, he said, who's talking to you. 
and there's going to be a chance to respond for her. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. <laughs> you would have. You have a choice. What have you chosen? What do you choose? Do you choose Jesus or do you turn away? You have a choice. And he would give you, if you choose him, he gives you living water. Living water. There's a lovely verse in the Psalms about the deer wanting water. As the deer pants for water. You know, I think it's a picture of a deer being hunted, probably, and just running through the uh, forest and just longing for a cool drink because he's really um, panting for it. It's probably not a picture you and I are very familiar with. I don't know. The sign of the times today, all of us have these all the time. And why do we have them? Because we know we need to be hydrated. We know we need water all the time. So we walk around with the stuff. Everybody does. But one of my children walks around with such a huge mug, I thought... Oh, I hope I can get that in the front door. But, you know, we, we all walk around with water because we need water. As the deer pants, as we pant for water. So, if we move on to the next slide, one of the interesting things about deer is that they move to water together. When one senses this, a place where they can drink water that will satisfy, they go together. And the truth is that that is what God wants us to be in the habit of doing as people. That we, well, we might feel individually thirsty, but at the same time we might see someone else who is expressing their thirst and being satisfied that provokes us to become aware that we also are thirsty, so we go with them to the same well of water. So basically I want us uh, periodically now, from now on, to both express a personal thirst asking, but also to express a corporate thirst that we're going to help each other to the well as well. So you'll see, if you look at this carefully, that we've changed the individual to the group. So now, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so our souls pant for you, our God. It's not just me. It's the person next to you right now that needs it as much as you do. It's not just the person next to you, it's all of us together. There's only one source of living water. So can we express that together in prayer now? This is my need, this is our need, this is the only source. If you knew who was talking to you, this is the offer of Jesus. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked. Do you agree? Yes. Now let's ask. Let's pray it together. As, As the, the deer, deer pants, pants the streams of living water, water, so our souls pant for you, our God. Anne is waving the bottle at you because she's hoping that you're not so much a, a deer as a person that's alive in the 21st century, which means that next time you see a person carrying a water bottle, it reminds you that the only source of living water is Jesus and that it's your heart's desire to pant for him and to be satisfied, and he will satisfy you. Take the water bottle as a provocation of this prayer. Why don't we pray this again, together? As the deer pants for streams of living water, 
so our souls pant for you, our God. The more we pray it together, the more hydrated we will become. So Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. I will give them living water and streams of living water will flow from them. And this he said about the Holy Spirit. This is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be channels for God's spirit. Channels that will affect not just ourselves and those immediately around us, but channels that will affect uh, the communities that we live in and the nation that we are serving. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet in the Old Testament talks about um, going deeper in the water. And uh, he talks about the water coming from the altar and you can get into the water. That's what we're doing as we pray, as we pray, as the soul, as, as we pray to go deeper into the water, whether we get in ankle deep when we first become Christians and we are maybe born again, when we become uh, lovers of Jesus for the first time and we find ourselves in the living water. Then Ezekiel says the river gets deeper. The river goes knee deep. And when we're knee deep, maybe we suddenly realize that we can be filled with his spirit. We ask to be filled with his spirit. Fill me again, fill me again. And Ezekiel says, go deeper, go deeper. You can be waist deep. And as you are waist deep, you are filled with his spirit and start to use the gifts of his spirit in daily life. Not just as you come to church, but it becomes your whole way of life, living with the gifts of the spirit. And as we go deeper, Ezekiel says, we begin to swim in the water of God's spirit. When you're swimming and you can't touch the ground, you are, as it were, out of control. And when the Holy Spirit has us and we are so out of control in him, then wonderful things can happen. And that's where we're going to. There is always more for us. There's always more. Don't think you have made a decision and that's it from now on. As long as you fasten your seatbelt, you'll get to eternity. There is always more. We go deeper and deeper in the Holy Spirit, in the living water that Jesus gives us. And this wonderful verse, this water flows as we go deeper and makes the salt water fresh so that where the river flows, everything will live. This is when the church begins to really make a difference in the nation. And my goodness, do we need that. This is the miracle life. Because usually when you put fresh water into salt, it does not make the salt water fresh. It's the other way around. But when we're talking about the water that is in us from Jesus, that is a miracle that's going to happen. And miracles will happen. 
So what we've done is we've talked about coming for ourselves and coming with a group of people together to receive the living water for ourselves. But we said that that is not the thing, only thing that Jesus wants to do. He wants to do that. Ask and you will receive. If only you knew you would ask, you will receive. He also says, as you come to me, I want you now to get into the river of my spirit, which flows from the place of worship. That's the place where we're blessed into the world which desperately, desperately needs him. Everything at the moment is dying. The only thing that can bring life is the river of living water. We need to be thoroughly in the river of living water to bring life to everywhere there's death. There's no place where God is not needed. There's no people group that God does not want to touch. There's no village, there's no street, there's no town, there's no workplace, there's no city. There is nowhere that the river does not want to run. And what God wants is that we are in the river of his love, going to the broken, hurting world, bringing hope, living water, where at the moment there is none. Are you up for that? Yeah. yeah. So here's a young man, James McQuilgan. Uh, he lived some time ago in uh, Northern Ireland, um, and uh, a, a Baptist missionary came from England. And um, uh, he over James McQuilgan overheard a conversation that this Baptist minister, mi missionary was having with obviously a well-versed, theologically alert member of the church. It was about predestination. And he overheard this Baptist woman saying to this other apparently learned person, my dear, you have never known the Lord Jesus Christ. Had all the religious language... But the Baptist missionary said to this person, my dear, you have never known the Lord Jesus Christ. And apparently James McQuilgan, this guy, went home and he had two weeks where the Holy Spirit was basically working in his heart and in his mind and his spirit. He was totally lacking in peace and he could not sleep. And he realized that while he had religious language, he also did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he gave his life to Jesus. Within a few weeks, the Baptist missionary encouraged him, together with the pastor of the church that he'd started to attend, to start praying. And he started praying, and he led one person to Christ. And within a number more weeks, there were four of them praying together in a little prayer meeting. This little prayer meeting became the powerhouse for the Ulster Revival. So after, uh, by the end of, uh, 90, so that was in 1980, sorry, 1857, four people praying together in this place called Kells. By the end of 1858, just a year later, there were 50 similar prayer meetings praying all over the Ballymena area. By the end of 59, there were 100 groups praying in a wider area. Um, and by this stage, the minister, seeing what was happening with this group of people, basically encouraged it further. Notice, friends, it was not led by the minister. This was ordinary people, and I can see four people in leadership over there, and I can see a whole load more of young people over here, some of whom may not have been believers for more than a few weeks. And this God, who's able to do more than you asked or imagined, basically said, will you start a prayer meeting? And this young man said, okay as long as I can do it with some friends. Are you a believer yet? So he persuaded him to give his life to Jesus. Then he got two more of his other friends to start praying with him. And then within weeks, and then months, and then after a year, people all over the country were praying. Did it make a difference? 
they say that 100,000 people were converted in a short period of time. That represents 10% of the population of Ulster at the time. The thing about water, when you thirst, when you're satisfied, and when you're so satisfied that you're in the river of God's mercy that other people can see it as well, they actually come and drink as well. And revival, for this was revival, is contagious. So a few people went to Wales. In Wales, similarly, they reckon 10% of the known population of Wales was converted in a few years as well. It happened in Scotland, and obviously the population of England was far greater. They know in, that they know in Scotland about 300,000 people were converted, apparently, in this short period of time, and more than that were converted in, in England. And this is the sort of thing that was written about. Friends, I, I'm, I'm hoping you are saying right now, Lord, we're panting we're thirsting for you, O oh God, because this is what we want in our land, and we want it now. Just so you get the context, the minister of this church said, there seemed great coldness and deadness. I'd preached the gospel faithfully, earnestly, and plainly for 11 years, yet I did not know that a single individual had been converted. In other words, it was a really difficult time in church leadership, and not many people were getting converted. Here's another minister at the time who said, before the revival, our condition was deplorable. We were dead, cold, prayerless, worldly. Two times I tried a prayer meeting, poor minister, with elders, but failed. The people did not only not want to pray, they were almost hostile towards prayer meetings. Yet suddenly, people were satisfied. They came to Jesus. He satisfied them. Suddenly, they're in the river of life, and revival breaks out. Now, Anne said earlier on... Um, you know, when you're in the river, sometimes you're out of control. Sometimes things happen in, revi in revival which actually um, people really cannot um, countenance, did not imagine, and God is doing something way beyond what they asked or imagined. One unusual physical manifestation was prostrations when men and women, sometimes great multitudes, would be struck down under the conviction and power of God. They would cry out in agony of soul and would rise up again, born again, redeemed and forgiven. And some were unable to rise for some time. Some others fell into trances. Others had visions. Others were temporarily struck dumb, blind, or paralyzed. God raised up evangelists and missionaries who were sent out to England and around the globe. Crime dropped by half within months. Bars and distilleries were closed because of no customers. Oh dear, we wouldn't like that, would we? Um, <laughs> by 1860... Judges in Ulster several times had no cases to try. At one time in Antrim County, no crime was reported to the police and no prisoners were held in police, cust cust held in police custody. By the end of 1860, these effects of the revival were listed. Throng services, unprecedented numbers in attendance, many prayer meetings, an increase in family prayers, unmatched scripture reading, prosperous Sunday schools, converts remaining steadfast, increased giving, vice and crime reduced, the revival work continued throughout Europe at least until 1874 and one minister said it were worth living 10,000 ages in obscurity and reproach to be permitted to engage in the glorious work of the last six months of 1859. Now, I would be able to say it was worth serving the Lord all those years for the last n smaller years of my life if that were to happen in England today. Mm. And it could be started not by the ministers, but by the newly converted coming to the only source of living water 
and acting appropriately in response to his gift of himself to you. Make me thirsty. Make me thirsty, Lord, like that deer. Shall we say it again? As, as the, the deer, deer pants, pants the streams, streams of, of living water, water so, so our souls, souls pant, pant for, you, for you, our God. God. Send your rain, Lord. Our souls pant for you, O oh Lord. Let the river flow, O oh Lord. Thank you that you are the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. <laughs>